0: Hello and welcome to another Nora Faye podcast. This time we're going to be talking about uh, first aid protection in our business. And sometimes the uh, crossover of information uh, that causes confusion in regards to legal obligation and moral obligation. And uh, it's something that we get into uh, discussions with quite a bit when we host uh, Legal Awareness One in regards to... uh, what needs to be in place. So let's uh, start at the beginning. Uh, Under uh, Regulation 1101, first aid is uh, governed uh, in all workplaces. And it's, it's not a complicated piece of legislation, but it's one that's got a fair bit of flexibility depending on how the supervisor in fact, wants to interpret their uh, obligations. So that's got to be the first uh, thing you need to uh, dive into if you're in a supervisory position is understanding Regulation 1101 and uh, what your responsibilities are in regards to uh, compliance. Now, the first thing that we will uh, clarify is that Regulation 1101 only deals with workers. So uh, it's designed to ensure that uh, the workforce is properly prepared for an emergency. And depending on the design of the workplace, it will dictate uh, exactly how many people need to have first aid training. Now, the, uh, the high mark is usually... Uh, If an individual is working alone any time that you've got them scheduled, then um, under Regulation 1101, but they would be required to have uh, basic first aid training. Now, again, the complexities of how high the first aid training needs to be will come down to how many people the first aider is going to be responsible for. So, again, take a look at the uh, piece of regulation and then uh, you're going to have to dissect that specifically to your operation. Now, uh, we do have a whole uh, guideline on it and we call it misconceptions about first aid and I'll talk about some of the information that's found inside that uh, piece of legislation. So, Um, When I hire a new staff, so let's say that I'm bringing on a seasonal staff worker or somebody who's going to be working part-time for me, when I hire them, I can build that into the hiring relationship. I can advise them that as part of the employment hiring uh, or offer of work is that they have uh, current first aid. And I can go as far as to say that the first aid uh, has got to have at least one year of the three years that's left. Once the individual uh, joins my workforce and I uh, deem that in fact they need to have first aid, then it's my responsibility to pay for the first aid. So this is the first one that starts to get into a little bit of a tug of war and it'll be uh, specific to uh, your own work environment meaning that if you're in a union shop, then it may be a little bit different than uh, somebody who's not in that type of working relationship. So it does say that I have to pay for the first aid. It doesn't say that I have to pay you to take the first aid course. So hypothetically, I could say, you know what, there's a first aid course uh, on Saturday and Sunday, and I'll pay the $150 registration fee for you to go and get the training, but I'm not going to pay you to go and get that Uh, training. So again, it will come down to each uh, employment relationship, but I would build it into uh, a new hire's position that in fact they do arrive with this training. Now, it's my responsibility as the supervisor to determine exactly what type of first aid training that they required based on the risks and hazards that they're going to be exposed to. So there are a variety of different levels of first aid training. The most common one that we often get into is first aid uh, along with AED training. And so uh, since we started to put AEDs into recreation infrastructure, uh, we've decided that in fact uh, having staff Um, trained to use the AED only makes sense. Now, you need to appreciate that the introduction to AED uh, systems uh, into uh, the recreation environment goes back to the Chase McEachran Foundation where young Chase uh, passed away from a heart condition and part of his legacy that his family uh, embraced was... uh, uh, coming up with a, a, a program that would help put AEDs into recreation facilities and don't get me wrong they have saved a lot of lives uh, ultimately placing this equipment inside a, a, a recreation establishment makes sense what we need to grasp though it's is the fact that uh, this is public access to AEDs. This has got nothing to do with the staff that are in fact inside the facility. There's no legal obligation that staff are going to act as first responders. The AED is there for anyone to use including staff and not all uh, people are going to be designed to be able to respond to any type of first aid crisis. So our expectations that frontline staff in any recreation facility in fact is going to be a first responder as part of their job description needs to be really ad- dove into on an individual basis because like I said not everybody is designed to do it now I stimulate a fair bit of conversation in legal, aware- legal awareness one course when I say that you know what if I was managing today Not sure if I'd be putting an AED into any of the facilities uh, that I would be uh, responsible for. Now, obviously, that was most likely a decision that's going to be above my office. And what I'm suggesting to you is is a hypothetical situation. The reality is is that once we accept the responsibility of the AED, we accept the liability of it not functioning when it needs to function so yes they're they're fairly um bulletproof in regards to maintaining them uh they do have a life cycle for the battery, there are recharging systems or checks and balances are put into place. But I've also bumped into uh, facilities where the staff have told me that the local service club has spent uh, a lot of time and resources uh, doing fundraisers for an AED inside the facility and at the end of the shift somebody walking out has decided that you know one of their parents has had a heart attack so why don't I just take this AED home and have it in the kitchen in case that they need it and all of a sudden there's a there's a box in the lobby of uh, the recreation facility that at once housed an AED that was fundraised for. That's now gone. So now it becomes my financial responsibility of the owner, as the owner of the building, uh, potentially to replace it. Again, just some of the mechanical stuff that uh, we got to work our way through because it's not just as simple as installing it. They also have a life cycle, uh, meaning that uh, once they arrive, they will have a best before date. kind of like a fire extinguisher. What that date's going to be is going to be based on the quality of the device that in fact was bought. So now it becomes my responsibility to make sure that staff are doing the uh, proper checks, Uh, logging that in fact uh, they are inspecting it as uh, as laid out uh, in the manufacturer's information that we are replacing the batteries uh, as recommended a lot of them uh, will actually start to beep when the battery gets uh, too low uh, advising that in fact it should be looked at so I mean they they have come a long way from the first time that in fact that we uh, did put them in so the the conversation that we're having is that it's great that we are placing these as public access defibrillation, but when it comes to first aid, Uh, inside the workplace we have a legal obligation as workers to our co-workers to provide first aid as a supervisor I've got to set out some parameters to my frontline staff in regards to what my expectations are not uncommon for us to go into facilities where they keep a selection of blankets that they've picked up uh, uh at a local uh, store, uh, and they will comfort basically uh, and call 911 so the most appropriate response could be had. So we really want to limit uh, the expectations of what staff are going to do when somebody gets injured. Now, if they require mouth to mouth or if they require CPR, then that will be an individual basis. But what we need to do is we need to determine if in fact it is going to be a worker's responsibility or not. Now I see here on February 23rd, I'm looking at a CTV news bulletin out of the Barry, uh, uh offices that uh, our, our members at the Eddie Bush Arena in Collingwood uh, seem to be credited with uh, saving a life inside that facility. And, and we get these stories quite often and they're very heartwarming to know that uh, our members are in fact uh, providing the necessary uh, responses when uh, the general public gets into a, a, a health emergency. But I will tell you that from behind the scenes, that these are not always successful. Meaning that uh, from uh, at times the individual that requires first aid uh, succumbs to whatever medical uh, ailment that they had on the go, and and they pass away. And this is very difficult uh, for some staff to be able to comprehend. Uh, as one uh, young uh, worker. Uh, said it uh, in one of my classes many years ago and I've embraced it ever since. He said, you know, Terry, he says, I signed up to clean toilets, you know, do the ice and maybe shovel some snow. I never signed up to try and save people and I just have a hard time with the with an incident that went on in their facility that was not as successful as we read inside the paper because rarely do does the media report when these things don't turn out well. They'll always report when in fact that they will turn out well. So my job as a supervisor is to figure out uh, what it is that I I want my staff to um, be able to comprehend in regards to what their responsibilities are. My recommendation to you is that uh, this is one of those items that uh, makes for a great staff meeting so that you can actually get staff's feedback in regards to uh, what it is that uh, they're uh, thinking about uh, and uh, you're going to be able to share what your thoughts are as a supervisor or what the corporation's policy or directive is on these type of of incidents. The takeaway is that not everybody is designed the same. Not everybody has got the ability to be able to deal with somebody else's health condition or having their survival in their own hands. They're just not designed to be able to take care of those types of situations. So by no means am I suggesting that you want to remove your AEDs. Now, going back to the first aid uh, part of the conversation, I do have a responsibility to have a first aid kit inside the facility or or various other locations as part of my operation, but at no means am I responsible to provide first aid uh, out of the kit to the public. So I would uh, suggest to you that at times uh, some operations, in fact, have one kit for workers, and that's the one that we do all the necessarily necessary logbook uh, entries uh, for inspection and make sure that they meet the requirements of Regulation 1101. And then they'll have another one for the public if they've got a blister or they cut themselves uh, and they require a band-aid. What you need to reconfirm with staff is that uh, yes you can have one for the public uh, but anytime you're handing one out then an incident report needs to be filled out why did you use the band-aid and uh, uh, who was the person and what was the circumstances just in case there is a litigation that erupts after the fact now in my travels uh, throughout my career at the rfa i've seen um, a lot of creativity from those that uh, work in our industry one of them was that um, i and, and i i saw it in several facilities where they actually uh, put the first aid uh, supplies inside the vending machine along with the chocolate bars and the chips and, and the and the lifesavers and such so that if they do require a, a Band-Aid uh, that they can, in fact, get it themselves. So it's food for thought uh, in regards to roles and responsibilities. Uh, one of the things that we're working on as an organization that will be uh, released uh, before the end of 2022 Uh, is the topic of um, being prepared to evacuate a recreation facility. And I can see some of you rolling your eyes going, oh, here we go again in regards to uh, talking about uh, our roles and responsibility. Well, this one's going to be uh, coming at it from a different direction. If uh, you've been in the business a while, you know that uh, the uh, accessibility laws uh, have uh, made access to public facilities that much more simplified. Uh, We are doing a really good job in regards to improving access to all public infrastructure. But when it comes to our business, swimming pools and ice arenas and, and such, uh, we have a we've done a great job of getting them in, but uh the RFA doesn't really believe that we're prepared uh to deal with a significant event inside our business that potentially has a dozen or two dozen uh individuals that are inside our building that have different forms of limitations, be it sight, mobility. Uh, etc and and we were quite concerned about that because we know that our buildings are aged and we know that there's a high turnover of staff and we've got a lot of new younger staff that may not be properly prepared if in fact there was a significant event that happened inside their facility so that'll wrap up this podcast hopefully uh, it's given you a little bit uh, of uh, like i said food for thought Uh, Until we meet again, you stay safe out there. Take care. Bye-bye.